Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie, and today we've got a special bonus episode of A Word Fitly Spoken for you. As many of you listeners know, the Southern Baptist Convention is coming up in a few short weeks. Last year, we had the opportunity to interview Pastor Tom Askell, who was one of the candidates for president of the SBC. This year's candidate for SBC president is my friend, Pastor Mike Stone. Some of you may remember him from when he was the nominee for president two years ago. Recently, Mike visited my church to speak to us about the issues facing the Southern Baptist Convention and how he would handle them if elected. But before he did, I was blessed to be able to sit down with him for an interview to discuss some of the challenges the SBC is contending with right now. Here is my interview with Pastor Mike Stone. Welcome, Mike. I'm sure that many of our listeners know that you were nominated for SBC president just two years ago in 2021, and that came with quite a few challenges. But for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to agree to be nominated for president of the SBC again? Well, thank you, Michelle. It's a privilege to be with you. I'm a longtime listener to your podcast and so thankful for the ministry that uh, that you and your uh, ministry have here. Uh, I'm a Lifetime native of Georgia. I was born there, lived there my entire life. And uh, God called me into vocational ministry. I felt that really from high school. But shortly after I graduated from uh, my undergrad, uh, began serving as a minister of music, which I did for several years, including at the church that I serve now as pastor. But uh, June of this year will be 21 years ago. They called me as senior pastor and uh, just a privilege to serve the wonderful people of Emmanuel Baptist in Blackshear, Georgia. Uh, we're in a very small town, very rural, blue-collar community, and with about 4,000 people in town, we run around 1,000 in Sunday worship, and that has garnered the attention of a lot of people when you're in a very small community and the Lord does a work like what He's done in our congregation. From that, I have served in just about every capacity imaginable in the Georgia Baptist Convention. I jokingly say I've done everything except be director of the WMU, and with no apologies to the alphabet soup people of our day and the encroaching encroaching egalitarianism even among our own convention of churches, uh, I don't think I'm qualified to be a WMU director, but I've been uh, chairman of the board for the Georgia Baptist Convention, served as president of the Georgia Baptist Convention, and then in 2018 to 2020, I was chairman of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, and as you mentioned, was nominated for the presidency uh, two years ago when our convention of churches met in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a rather trying time. There were a lot of uh, accusations and uh, a lot of SBC Twitter uh, that happened at that time. Uh, when that convention was over, I thought I would go back and shepherd my family, pastor my church, and would be more than happy and satisfied uh, to do that. But this past February, there were a couple of things that were announced in the executive committee meeting of the SBC that God really used to prick my heart and begin stirring me uh, that perhaps he was calling me to allow my name to be put forward again. And uh, real specifically, without a lot of detail, those two things were the audit of the executive committee of the SBC, which revealed that uh, we're on an unsustainable trajectory. In fact, the CPA firm, their, their status was un. Sustainable, And it's largely because of what I view to be the troubling response uh, to the sex abuse issue in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a very real issue, but I think we're addressing it in some ways that are not as wise and healthy as they could be. 
The second thing that was announced that God really used to stir my heart was the Sex Abuse Task Force indicated that they were going to recommend once again to the Credentials Committee of the SBC that we partner with Guidepost Solutions, uh, which is a corporation that is on record as supporting the LGBTQIA plus movement. I'm troubled by that, obviously, on its face, but also as an organizational matter. Uh, a year ago in Anaheim, California, I felt that Southern Baptists made it very clear to our leadership that we did not want to partner with Guidepost Solutions. And yet our current leadership in the convention, uh, from the president that's currently serving to the task force that he appointed, seems bent that Guidepost Solutions is the only partner that we can uh, affiliate with uh, to help us to address this issue. And I believe that that is a bridge too far. Uh, I don't think that Southern Baptists need to partner with corporations that embrace and affirm sexual perversion to help us address issues of sexual perversion, sexual sin, and sexual crime. And there are other issues and challenges we face as a convention, but those were the two things back in February that God used to really begin stirring in my heart. Obviously, when some noted leaders from across the convention began to approach me about possibly uh, being nominated, I spoke first to my wife and then to our church staff and the deacons at our church and sought and, by God's grace, received their support. So just a few weeks ago announced that I would receive a nomination when we meet in New Orleans. Well, that's great. And we certainly wish you well in that pursuit and pray that things will go a little more smoothly this time and, and, and be more of a blessing to you and to all of us. Now, your banner statement for the presidential election is unsustainable is unacceptable. Could you explain to us just a little bit more about what that means by maybe highlighting more of, of your uh, the, the points of your platform? Yeah, as I have expressed that, I've even been criticized for using that phrase. And so I want to first of all point out that the phrase unsustainable, that's not the opinion of a pastor with a Bible. That's the assessment of a national CPA firm uh, using spreadsheets, calculators, and a calendar. They're just looking at the numbers. And the fact of the matter is the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee has blown through more than 50% of its disposable liquid assets in one year's time because of uh, what I believe is the unwise way that we are addressing the sexual abuse issue. We are spending millions and millions and millions of hard-earned, sacrificially given missions dollars in legal fees, uh, fighting and defending ourselves against an investigation by the federal government, the Department of Justice, all because we have had leaders who have made statements repenting of and asking forgiveness for the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee supposedly, and I will underscore that word supposedly, being involved in the cover-up of sexual abuse. And yet, there's no evidence whatsoever that the Executive Committee of the SBC has covered up a single case of sexual abuse. Every case that came uh, to the national leadership of the SBC was already in the public sphere. But unfortunately, we're living in a day in the American culture and it's encroaching on American evangelicalism as well, where words don't have fixed definition and meaning anymore. And the bottom line is you can't cover up something that's already in the public sphere. So we have national leaders that are claiming responsibility, and with responsibility comes liability for acts of, of sin and crime, terrible, egregious things that happened in local, independent, autonomous churches that happen to be in fellowship or cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. We are headed down a road of 
uh, believing every accusation that is made, I think that's an unbiblical position. Proverbs eighteen seventeen is still in the Bible, that the first to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes to question him. Uh, I believe that the Bible supports our own uh, American legal system as far as you should be innocent until proven guilty. And we have flipped that upside down in today's Southern Baptist Convention that because of an accusation, because of the Me Too movement and hashtag Believe All Women or Believe All Victims, we deem an accused person as being guilty unless they can prove themselves to be innocent. And that is not only unfortunate and unsustainable, uh, I'll just be blunt, that's unbiblical to say that we're going to uh, treat someone as though they are guilty of doing something unless they can prove that they did not do it. Uh, We're talking now about publishing a website, a database of people who have been accused of committing certain crimes. Now, the supporters of that would say that it's not a database of people merely accused, but those credibly accused. And I would simply point out the word credibly is just an adverb modifying accused. So this is not someone who's proven or convicted or uh, has confessed to something, but they are accused of something. And the difference in being merely accused and credibly accused is credibly. And so we have to back up and ask, well, who gets to determine that it's a credible accusation? So far, it seems that we are bent that it's going to be an organization like Guidepost Solutions. And I just referenced what I've already said. Uh, Guidepost Solutions, as a corporation, cannot recognize sexual perversion when they see it staring itself in the face. So how would they be able to assist the people of God in determining that someone has been credibly accused? These are just a few of the ways in which I think we are on a terrible trajectory that is uh, uh, causing us financially to be unsustainable. And again, claiming responsibility for things the National Convention did not do, did not know about, could not have prevented if it had wanted to, and certainly we would want to prevent it if we had had the ability to. We are spending ourselves through litigation and other legal fees, early settlements. We are spending ourselves at the national level to the brink of financial insolvency. And uh, it is something that Southern Baptists need to come to New Orleans and reject that direction. Yes, absolutely. That's that's really going to be a huge issue at the convention this year. There are also going to be some some other really big issues that are coming up to one of the main themes at the convention this year is going to be women pastors. And that's going to flesh itself out in at least two ways that we know of. Uh, Rick Warren's challenge of the uh, executive committee's decision to disfellowship Saddleback, and then also Mike Law's pro- proposed amendment to Article 3 of the Constitution. So let's tackle the Saddleback question first. Saddleback was founded by Rick Warren over 40 years ago. And after he retired as the senior pastor in 2021, he appointed a husband and wife as co-pastors to replace him. Then back in February of this year, the executive committee made the decision to disfellowship or break ties with Saddleback Church and four other Southern Baptist uh, churches for having women pastors. Rick, who Saddleback's website says currently serves as the founding pastor and executive director of Finishing the Task, along with at least one of those other four disfellowshipped churches, has publicly stated that he will challenge that decision at the meeting in June. So what are your thoughts about that, and how should SBC messengers respond to that situation? 
Well, bluntly, we should respond by overwhelmingly supporting the action that was taken by the executive committee based on the recommendation of the credentials committee. Southern Baptists are very clear. We should be very clear what we think about women pastors. Uh, I would point out that in cases like this, we are not declaring Saddleback to be out of cooperation with the SBC as much as we are simply acknowledging and agreeing with them that they are not in cooperation with us. And when you look at the actions that Saddleback has taken even since the February action of the executive committee, including, I believe it was on May the 7th, they announced that they were installing a woman to be a campus pastor. She would be the main preacher at one of their campuses. It really is a thumbing of the nose. There is no indication of anything other than an arrogant, defiant spirit that we are going to come and we are going to force this upon the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and Michelle, I would just say it's um, it's unseemly to me that a church that is clearly out of step with the convention would try to force this issue uh, when we've already been clear about it. In the church that I pastor, we have a new members class that's required for membership. We go over our doctrinal position, and I try to tell people, if this is not what you believe, it's fine for you to go join somewhere else. I'm not saying you're not a Christ follower or you don't love Jesus, but don't come here and try to change our church. And in the same way, when an entire congregation is clearly out of step with who we have determined we want to be as Southern Baptists, uh, we sometimes have to take the action of just really agreeing with them mm-hmm. that you are you are not acting in cooperation with the SBC. So what what should Southern Baptists do? We should be there at that point of appeal, which will be one of the first acts of business uh, in the order of business for the um, for the annual meeting. And we should we should clearly and overwhelmingly affirm and support the decision of the executive committee. Saddleback has already been removed from the convention, so uh, we're not asking at, uh, in New Orleans. We're not coming to see should we vote them out. The question on the table is would we vote to let them back in? And that's a slightly different question. But I also think that it would be very unfortunate if we vote to re engage a church that has been removed on this basis. Now, as to the Mike Law Amendment, I am very much in support of that amendment because uh, in my service as chairman of the executive committee, sitting on the uh, credentials committee in 2019-2020, it became obvious, painfully obvious to me, that even at some of the highest levels of leadership in our convention, there was not the clarity that I think you and I would see in the Baptist faith and message on this issue. So I think we do need to codify that as a specific uh, parameter of cooperation with the SBC. And I'm in favor of doing it through a constitutional amendment, primarily because if we amend the Baptist faith and message, which our Southern Baptist listeners here would recognize as our official doctrinal statement, that would only require a majority vote in a single year. But amending the Constitution, which is what uh, Pastor Law has put forward, would require a two-thirds majority in two successive years. So it's a lot higher threshold. And because of that, I think it's a much stronger statement to the leadership of our convention. Here is where grassroots Southern Baptists are, and this is where we expect our leaders to continue to lead us in this direction related to women who would be functioning in the office or function uh, of a pastoral role. Right. And let me just give some of the specifics of that for our listeners who are not aware of what's going on. This is a, a constitutional amendment proposed by, as you said, Pastor Mike Law of Arlington Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. And Article 3, it's a, it's an amendment to Article 3 of the 
Constitution, not the Baptist faith and message. Just want to make that clear for our, our listeners. Uh, Article 3 of the Constitution, if I can just simplify it a little bit, defines which churches may and may not be considered to be in friendly cooperation or a member, if you will, of the SBC. So there are currently five stipulations that are spelled out, including that SBC churches may not affirm or support homosexuality, sexual abuse, discrimination or discrimination based on uh, the on the basis of ethnicity. And Mike Law's proposed amendment would add women pastors to that list of specifications. And it reads, does not affirm, appoint or employ a woman as pastor as a pastor of any kind. So obviously you support that that amendment. I do too. Is there anything else that you think that our listeners should know about that? Yeah, I think it deals with uh, the debate that's going on as to um, some of it involves titling. A church may say, well, this is uh, this is an associate pastor. You know, Sister Sally is serving as an associate pastor, and she only preaches on Sunday nights. Or this is our children's pastor, and she only preaches on certain occasions. Uh, I believe it is impossible to separate the office and the function. And my prayer would be that through the passage of this amendment in year one, and then God willing, its ratification uh, in the second year in 2024, that churches that have what I believe to be a troubling, even unscriptural titling for uh, women who serve on their church staff or in various capacities would use that as an opportunity not to withdraw from the Southern Baptist Convention, but would use it as a loving and gracious opportunity to address some of those issues and change some of the titles that they have to offer clarity for uh, for their own congregation as well as for the larger community around them so that they would know uh, that we as Southern Baptists believe that the office and function of pastor uh, is limited to and exclusive to men as defined by Scripture. Uh, I was sharing with a group recently that um, while First Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 15 is certainly a hallmark passage dealing with the role of women in ministry, uh, if all you had was chapter 3 of First Timothy, which is one of the pastoral epistles, and I know a lot of folks who are listening to this, they'll want to turn to the book of Acts or maybe a different Pauline epistle and note some woman who's serving in a various capacity, but those are descriptive passages. Those are not doctrinal or pastoral epistles. And uh, in First Timothy chapter 3, even if we didn't have chapter 2, He's describing the qualifications of a pastor, and over and over again, he must be, he must be, he must be, he must be. And uh, as I recently said, there may be a difference of opinion as to what the phrase husband of one wife would be and exactly how that would be applied and fleshed out. But if you think that the husband of one wife can be a woman, you've got bigger fish to fry than the egalitarian, uh, complementarian debate. And so uh, uh, my prayer is that we would pass this amendment in the first year, Churches would not be um, uh, would not decide to pull out of the SBC because of that, but that they would change some of the language and titling in their own uh, church structure, and that we move forward with clarity on this issue uh, in submission to God's word. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and it's my understanding that the amendment covers uh, the amendment would cover uh, or just would propose to disfellowship. Um, Churches who have women serving in uh, roles where they bear the title of pastor, 
even if they're not functioning as a pastor. In other words, uh, a, a woman called a women's pastor or a children's pastor, even if all she's doing is acting biblically. So it would cover that, but it would also cover women who are who do not bear the title of pastor, but who are functioning as a pastor. In other words, a woman who is a worship leader, that's her title, or a woman who is the director of discipleship and evangelism or something like that, where she's functioning as a an associate pastor, so to speak. is Would you say that's a fair assessment of yeah. some of the things it would cover? I think it's impossible to, <clears throat> to separate the office and the function. So I think it would um, have some bearing on those who have the title of pastor, even though they may be children's pastor, music pastor, worship pastor, uh, things of that nature. But I think if you have a woman serving in a pastoral role, even if her title is associate minister, Mm -hmm. but she preaches on Sunday mornings in the pastor's absence or she preaches the Sunday evening or the midweek services, I I believe that that is violative of Scripture and violative of the spirit of the Baptist faith and message. And I believe that um, a pastor law's amendment should be viewed as applying to those situations as well. Yes, and I think that's really going to be a huge issue that we're going to to be dealing with at this year's annual meeting. Well, touching back just a bit to the requirements for friendly cooperation in Article 3 of, of the SBC Constitution, number one says that a cooperating SBC church must have, quote, a faith and practice which closely identifies with the convention's adopted statement of faith. By way of example, churches which act to affirm, approve, or endorse homosexual behavior would be deemed not to be in cooperation with the convention. And as you know, sadly, there are a number of SBC churches that are at least flirting with violating this tenet, if not outright defying it. And the one that has probably received the most publicity is First Baptist Church of Orlando. Uh, Justin Peters has produced several videos exposing photographic, text, and first-person eyewitness testimony evidence that First Baptist Church of Orlando is baptizing unrepentant, currently practicing homosexuals. They have homosexuals in various positions of leadership in the church, at least one of whom is, quote-unquote, married to his partner. And that First Baptist Church of Orlando has said and done multiple other things which affirm or approve, two of the words in that stipulation, uh, of homosexual behavior. So what are your thoughts on that and on churches like that and your thoughts on disfellowshipping churches that operate in such a manner? Well, I would have to admit that while a lot of pastors live on social media, I don't. And so I don't have um, a lot of specific awareness or knowledge about the, the church that you name specifically. Um, that all may very well be true. I just don't have any specific knowledge of it. So I want to answer your question more generally. Uh, I do believe that a church that affirms, approves, or endorses homosexual behavior is not, not only according to the Word of God, but as you indicated, black ink on white paper It is a specific example of a violation of Article 3. It is one of three items, uh, the homosexual issue, sex abuse, and then discrimination on the basis of ethnicity, that are clear examples the convention has already approved that you're not in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, I think if someone is living in an open homosexual lifestyle, they're living with their partner, they are practicing 
this lifestyle. There's documentation that they have not turned from it, but they are living in it. Uh, I could tell you right now, my church would not baptize such a person because there's no sign of regeneration um, any more than there would be a sign of regeneration of someone who was living in open adultery or someone who was living uh, with their boyfriend or girlfriend without uh, the, the bonds of marriage. But if you've got someone who is um, in open homosexuality and that church has embraced them and affirmed them as members, having them in places of service, I don't know if there could be a more blatant act of affirming, endorsing, or approving of homosexuality. And I would be in favor um, of that church being submitted through our current process, the process that we would use, of such a church being submitted to the Credentials Committee of the SBC, there being a proper inquiry. And if those things in any church situation could be affirmed uh, and become known to the leadership of the convention, then I would say regardless of who that church is, where that church serves, who the pastor is, how much money they give, that church should be disfellowshipped from the SBC. And it shouldn't take an awful long time to do it. Uh, I think the scripture is clear on this. Uh, the governing documents of the SBC are crystal clear as well. It's so sad that we're going through so many of these major issues that, like you said, that Scripture is completely clear on these things, and yet we're having to have uh, things go through committee and have all these discussions and have all these meetings and whatnot. And 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 Scripture tells us already what we are are to be doing about these things. And you know, the sexual abuse issue is another thing. You recently gave an excellent interview with Tom Buck, in which you were so clear and so thorough on the sexual abuse issue. And we're going to link that interview up in our show notes for this this episode, if our listeners would like to hear more. But uh, and I know we've covered this a little bit already. But can you tell us maybe the top two or three most important things that you You'd like us to know about the sex, the whole sexual abuse issue in the SBC? Well, one of the things, and it's at a 30,000-foot view level, but I think we've got to start with this. If we want a biblical approach to dealing with sexual abuse, one of the things we have to do is treat one another in the body of Christ in, the, in a spirit of Christian love. I'm preaching through Hebrews on Sunday mornings, and just this past Sunday we were in chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. And... Um, Unfortunately, if, if you raise a different issue, if you have a different approach on this issue, there are people on the other side of this debate. I'm talking about pastors and leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention that will accuse you of supporting pedophilia and of desiring to protect and cover up child molesters. And uh, I, I'll go on record. I have never done that to anyone on the other side of this issue, even those including our current president who I think are leading the convention in some ways that I think are unfortunate and are over the long haul are going to tear at the fabric and future of our cooperation as a convention of churches. None of that says that I think that he or anybody else doesn't care about the abuse of women or children or other vulnerable populations. Just a few weeks ago, uh, two of our state conventions, Ohio and Florida, indicated that if we continue to partner with Guidepost Solutions, uh, they are going to start changing the way that they give money through the SBC missions uh, giving. Within minutes, Michelle, within minutes of them um, posting that announcement, the entire state convention of Florida was accused of covering up for pedophiles and not being concerned about the molestation of children. And I want to say especially to our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters that are listening, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I, I mean that biblically, 
not in a blasphemous way, in God's name. We have got to do better than that. Not for the sake of dialogue in the convention, but out of obedience to our master and out of love for one another. We have got to stop verbally attacking and abusing one another simply because someone has a different approach. It's one thing to say that I think your approach is wrong. It's one thing to say that I think that your approach is harmful. I I even say that myself about some people that I think their approach is wrong. But I will tell you as a survivor of sexual abuse myself, I experienced that from age 8 to 10. The only sexual abuse that I ever concealed was my own when I was the victim of it, and I did not share that for a period of 40 years. But I had been accused of covering up abuse, of resisting uh, sex abuse reform. And I want to say as clearly as possible, as an example of some of the things that we need to address, I have never resisted sex abuse reform. I have resisted what I think are unwise, unhealthy, and unbiblical uh, recommendations for sex abuse reform, including, and I mentioned these a few moments ago, any kind of mantra that says that we have to treat every accusation as true is unbiblical. I told my congregation when I addressed this issue that biblical principles would require us, and in the state of Georgia and in most jurisdictions, the law will require us, but certainly biblical principles of compassion and justice should require us to treat every accusation as potentially true, regardless of who the accuser is, regardless of who the accused is. If it is the least credible person in your community of faith accusing the most credible person in your community of faith, biblical principles of justice and compassion require us to treat every accusation as potentially true. That means that we will call the police, We will call them immediately. We will cooperate fully with the God-ordained government. It's God, not the church, that has been ordained and sanctioned by Scripture as being the one that carries the sword for criminal activity, and they are the ones equipped to investigate allegations of criminal activity. But the same Bible that would require us, by, by virtue of principle, to treat every accusation as potentially true prohibits us to treat every accusation as necessarily true. And we are publishing, and we are sharing, and we are repeating accusations, and we are engaging in defamation and slander that not only harms our brothers and sisters, but but my greater concern, and I say my greater concern as one who has been personally defamed and accused falsely, my greater concern is what it does to the glory of the Lord Jesus, the way that we're treating one another, and we are presenting our brothers and sisters in ways that is not, um, does not adorn the gospel of God, as we read about in uh, Paul's letter to Titus. So the way that we treat one another is something we need to address. The, The quickness to believe an accusation and republish that is just unscriptural. It's not only unkind, it's ungodly because it's unbiblical. We, we've got to stop that. Also, the fact that our national convention is repenting of and asking forgiveness for the individual actions of bad actors in individual churches. That is not only a legal and financial and, frankly, an ecclesiological matter, There are truth implications of me asking for forgiveness for something that I didn't even know about, and it makes me wonder, who is it that we're trying to curry favor with? 
who is it that we're trying to look good to uh, when we start um, claiming guilt and asking for forgiveness for things that, that we simply didn't know about? I'm also troubled uh, by the fact, and this is an organizational matter, not so much a, a spiritual one, although I think there are spiritual implications to it. We have an advisor to the task force who was revealed on social media. Um, uh, first of all, one task force member admits on social media that he lied to a family of sex abuse victims related to the unauthorized publication of their story of sexual abuse. And with 13.2 million Southern Baptists, it's staggering to me that the president had to pick that person to go on a committee, a task force, to advise the rest of us as to how to care well for victims of sexual abuse. There's another advisor to that group who it was revealed a couple of months ago was assisting survivors of sexual abuse in suing the Southern Baptist Convention, an obvious conflict of interest. And I want to say this kindly, but I want to say it clearly. I believe it's a failure of leadership that the president did not immediately pick up the phone and call that person, thank them for their service, and say, God love you, I appreciate you, thank you for your service, but as of today, your services are no longer needed. You cannot serve as an advisor to the Southern Baptist Convention while simultaneously helping people sue us. And uh, it, it just makes a reasonable person wonder, what is this really about? Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to gain favor with? I believe we need to return to a biblical posture of dealing with, with abuse. And again, as a survivor of sexual abuse myself, I will not indignify your podcast by telling you what I think should happen, particularly and specifically to a man who is proven to have abused a child or abused a woman. Uh, but but I will say it involves capital punishment, and I'll let your readers fill in the blanks, uh, your listeners fill in the blanks from there. So, uh, these are a few of the ways that I think we need to address and and change direction on the issue of sex abuse reform. Yeah, I think those are some really good thoughts there and, and would be really helpful and more biblical than the current trajectory that we're on. Um, so we've we've hit a lot of heavy topics today already. Is is there anything else? Maybe another heavy heavy topic, maybe something a little lighter that you would like our listeners to know about that you think they should know about regarding the SBC this year's annual meeting or anything else? Well, two things real quick. The the first one before I forget, I've got a lot of calls from around the country, people saying that they support me and they're praying for me, and I'm certainly grateful for that. But I remind people that the presidency is not elected on thoughts and prayers. It's elected by messengers who get in their cars or uh, on a plane ride and make their way to New Orleans, Louisiana, for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, which is uh, June 13th and 14th. The election of the office of president is on the afternoon of Tuesday, June the 13th. And so any of the listeners that are uh, a member of a Southern Baptist church, get in touch with your pastor if you need to. Pastors, get in touch with your people. Bring your full allotment of messengers. If you agree that unsustainable is unacceptable, you can only change that if you're in the room with your ballot in your hand ready to cast that. But but I want to end, I guess, on a, on a more positive note, because the other thing that's really on my mind, if God be pleased for me to serve as president of the convention, is to champion a national evangelism strategy that I've called Crossover America. Uh, crossover is a term that's known to Southern Baptists. On the weekend preceding our annual meetings, uh, we move into our host cities 
in this summer, of course, being in New Orleans, uh, the weekend before the meeting, we'll have crossover New Orleans, block parties and evangelistic events, uh, just looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And what I would like to do as president is challenge our churches to a series of evangelistic meetings, not something that the convention does, uh, and we ask people to come to it, but rather something the convention resources and promotes for local churches, consistent with their own methodology, their own practices, their own schedule, and even their, within their own uh, nuances of soteriology, the, the idea would be we want to challenge that church to hold its own Crossover America event with just a specific gospel-centered, gospel-preaching event, try to get as many unconverted people there, preach the gospel in simplicity and power, and see won't God do what He promised He would do, that for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Last year, the Southern Baptist Convention lost 457,000 members. Those numbers came out just last week. It's the largest single reduction in membership in over a century. Some of that, no doubt, is because of churches that might be cleaning up their roles, and that's a good thing in and of itself. But for the most part, we've lost 457,000 members because we also lost 416 churches that, for whatever reason, no longer desire to be affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe that God's ordained remedy to this numerical decline is the preaching of the gospel and inviting men and women and boys and girls to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I would be uh, so excited if God would be pleased to champion uh, the Crossover America initiative throughout our Southern Baptist Convention. Oh, that would be so wonderful if if we could get these problems under control and we could just focus on evangelism and discipleship. I think that would be great. Uh, how can our listeners learn more about you, your your plans if you're elected, and current issues in the SBC? And then also, how can the average Southern Baptist get involved in bringing about biblical change in the SBC uh, for the messengers between now and the convention, and then for people who just absolutely can't go to the convention, is there anything they can do? Well, people who can't go to the convention, of course, we never underestimate or diminish the power of prayer, because God doesn't need the Southern Baptist Convention. We desperately need Him, and all will be vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So prayer is certainly uh, at the top of that list. But inform yourselves. Uh, inform your pastor. Don't assume that your pastor is well-versed on these issues. And secondly, and I don't say this to try to get any pastor in trouble or caught in the crosshairs of his own congregation, but ask your pastor where he stands on these issues. I think there's some congregations who would be surprised to find out that their pastor is not in step with the congregation on these issues. And so the first level of accountability may not require you getting on a plane and going to New Orleans. It may require you getting in your car and driving up to your own church and asking your pastor, are you going to the convention? How are you going to vote on these issues? And lovingly, graciously, but firmly hold him accountable if he is wrong on these issues and encourage him and hold up his hands in prayer and support if he's right on these issues. So those are some things people can do. Obviously, sharing social media posts uh, to help get the proper message out for others who may be going to the convention. Those are some practical things people can do if they are not going to the convention. As far as how people can connect with me or find out more about me, uh, my handle on most social media accounts, the major platforms, is simply Pastor Mike Stone. That's my Twitter handle. You can find me there on Facebook and Instagram as well. I do have a ministry website at PastorMikeStone.com, and there's a lot of information there. 
My church's website, you can put all this stuff in the show notes, is ebchurch.net, and you can connect with us, our preaching ministry there. I'm blessed right now to be preaching through Hebrews on Sunday mornings and Judges on Sunday nights, just going verse by verse. And if nothing else, if those messages would be a blessing to your listeners, we'd be grateful for them to stop by and learn a little bit more about what God's doing in the heart of Southeast Georgia. All right. Well, listeners, do be sure to check the show notes for all of those helpful links and maybe some other ones, too, that we'll throw in and uh, and many more things uh, as well, you know, that we've talked about and that we haven't talked about today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. The pleasure is mine.